Hi, this is Jenna. And this is Kelly. And you're listening to ODFM. This week's episode is One Departure from Murder. the uh, caveat that, yeah, I could have COVID, so if I'm more vapid than normal. Okay, what does vapid mean? Oh, what's stupid. You're pulling out the big words. Stupid. Okay, if I'm us more... stupid people don't know vapid. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I know it. I don't know that one. I don't know. Okay, if I'm, oh my if I'm more airheady than usual, that, <laughs> that's going to be my excuse. So it's November in the year of 1955. Do you feel like you're there? Wait, isn't November of 55? Is that, isn't that when they went back to in like Back to the Future? Ooh. Off to I feel that. like that's right. Well, this kind of goes down with it because it is in farmland. Ooh. Ooh farm Was country. there a DeLorean? <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe that's what actually happened in this story because it sounds like it totally could fit in. Okay, I'll tell you. All right, well, I can't wait now. All right. Yes, so it's November in the year of 1955, and the Hopp family was sitting down for dinner at their farmhouse east of Longmont, Colorado, which is very close to here. Hot? Like, warm or hop? Hop as in, like, ooh. I was thinking. Like the money. Well, yeah, I was thinking hop as in, like, the beer. But yeah, hops. Okay, I can see where, see, that's where your brain is, and here's where my brain is. (laughs) I'm always alcohol. Uh, It's got two P's. So Hop, Hop. Conrad Hop, who was 18 at the time, was less than a year out of school. He worked on the family farm fields, and this day he had been harvesting sugar beets, which still happens around here, and it freaking stinks. I can't, you know, you would think sugar beets, sugar beets smell. Oh my God, it smells so bad. Yeah, I know that. Oh, they smell awful. It's so bizarre. So you it would might never as well think. be pigs. Yeah, it might as well be pig farming. Yeah. Ooh, it's gross. That we always tell when they're farming those. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> So they're sitting there eating dinner and an explosion shakes the windows of the family's house and they hear the roar of engines as they look out the window and see a ball of fire bulleting through the air. Kind of like a DeLorean coming into the farm field. Kind of like a DeLorean. Right? Right. And the road lit on fire when they went through that. That's right. (laughs) So Conrad and his brother run outside and the flaming wreckage disappeared beyond the outbuildings in the distance on their farm. They get in Conrad's car and they drive across rows of alfalfa, dodging debris that had fallen from the sky. And they stop when they reach an irrigation ditch and a copse of trees. And they can't go any farther. And the headlights shone on the back of an airline seat. An airline seat? Yes. Ooh. Okay. His brother gets out and runs towards the wreckage, yelling at Conrad to go back to the house to get coats because it's getting cold. Oh, okay. And when he turned back to look at Conrad in the car, he saw the front of the airline seat with the head, that the headlights were illuminating and the body was still strapped in the seat. <gasps> I know. And at this point, hundreds of calls flooded into the Longmont Police Department detailing the explosion and thousands of people began to flock to the area, curious about the flaming ball that lit up the sky for miles. Like, 
I don't know if this happens where you are, like but ever. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, another sticker opportunity. <laughs> flaming balls. Excuse me, there's a flaming ball in the sky? <laughs> Is that Chris Evans I'm calling, again? <laughs> I'm, I'm calling to report a flaming ball. No, no, not mine. No, I'm fine, seriously. This the rash is gone. <laughs> I got a cream for that. It's cool. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, but I don't know if that happens probably where you live, too. But everybody, if there's sirens going somewhere, everyone here leaves their house to go find out what's going on. You know, and goes towards it instead of like... Oh, my God, no. Uh, here, sometimes people just like post on Facebook. Anybody hear gunfire? No, just me? Cool. Like, it's not scary. Right? No big. Whatever. Right, exactly. No, we don't, no one flocks. There's no flocking. There's, there's always flocking here. So a DC-6B aircraft had taken off from Denver Stapleton Airport at 6.52 p.m. headed for Portland, Oregon. 11 minutes later, an airport tower employee reported seeing a bright flash of white and a flare in the distant northern sky. Air traffic controllers contacted every plane in their airspace, and Flight 629 was the only one that didn't respond. Yes. The Longmont police chief called the Colorado State Patrol and sent every officer and firefighter in the city to the scene, along with every available ambulance. A few minutes later, a patrolman radios back that no ambulances are necessary. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, not good. So that family, Conrad Hopp, Mm-hmm. Conrad's girlfriend, Martha, had also been having dinner. Martha's such a 1955 name. Seriously. Yeah. She had my also baby been. Martha. Oh, my baby Martha. She's got a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's okay. what I envision when I envision a baby Martha. A baby with She's a mustache. She's got a mustache. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry, Martha's. So, Martha had also been having dinner with her family. When the explosion rocked her house, she and her dad, just like everyone else, ran outside and drove towards the accident because that's what everyone does. That's what people do there. Yeah. yeah. She said every road was covered with lights in every direction as people were racing towards the scene to see what had happened. As they made their way towards the spectacle, they began to see silverware, paper, and dinner trays littered across the ground. And they spent the oh. rest of the night searching for bodies. I know. Martha soon joined her boyfriend, Conrad, who was also aiding the search for bodies. Using the truck, Martha would mark where the bodies were by driving circles around them in the crops. Oh, God. Kind of mark. Oh, that's a... mm, Isn't that disturbing? That's a fun job. That would not be fun. Mm. Martha, with the mustache, was a high school senior. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Martha. You probably are beautiful. She was a high school senior, went to the school the next day while Conrad kept helping. Searchers, hundreds of them, formed a line, arms length apart, and walked the fields meticulously searching for every shred of wreckage. The plane's remnants were strewn across six square miles near where where I-25 now meets Colorado Highway 66 for those of us that live here. Yeah, I'm just still picturing farms. I have no Yeah, it is. (laughs) I got nothing. Yeah. The tail of the plane had landed 4,600 feet from the motors and the wings, which had created craters on impact. So the impact was so fierce. They just... Oh my gosh. And the front of the plane landed 600 feet north of those craters, and a panel from a wing landed 600 feet to the south. Just to give you an idea of the power of explosion, it was just... 
so everywhere. The plane definitely exploded. It yes. didn't just like crash. Exactly. And that's exactly what I say the next. It was clear the explosion was of such great intensity that it wasn't a plane malfunction. Investigators mapped out the area where every piece of debris was found, and then it was taken to a warehouse at the airport for investigation. And in an effort to visualize the source of the explosion, investigators reconstructed the hundreds of scraps of the body of the plane around a chicken wire frame. Can you oh my imagine God. like every tiny little piece? They put it's back. like it's like a giant. Puzzle. It's like a Rubik's cube to like yes. the nth degree. Just like <sighs> it seems oh like my, my God. Hell. But within days, they must have done it fairly quickly because within days of this reconstruction, they were able to pinpoint the source of the explosion. The Damn. Plane. Maybe planes were simpler then, too. Who knows? That's impressive, though. It is. Because I'd have to imagine all the pieces are not totally... For one, they probably didn't find everything. Plus, right. some like may have melted or something. Yeah. And so we're original shape. Like, I am impressed. It's impressive. Yeah, and there's photos of that I'll have to share. Because it's pretty cool. Yeah. The blast came from a dynamite-type explosion in the baggage compartment in the cargo hold. We went dynamiting? They went dynamiting. Oh, yeah. Wait, wait. That's <laughs> a shitty thing. did not do that. <laughs> did not. Yeah, that's what you do when you dynamite. <laughs> While one team of investigators combed through the wreckage, another team took on the task of compiling background information on the 44 victims. 44. This included figuring out what luggage belonged to each passenger and comparing that with how much of the bags were destroyed. Ugh. Doing this narrowed the search down to the passengers who had the most badly damaged luggage or that was coated in residue determining whose bag actually contained the explosives. Well, how do they know that it was, the dynamite was in their bags? Uh, because they figured out the explosion had come from the cargo hold. Oh, okay, all right. That's smart. Okay, cool. They're smart people. And as bodies were recovered, they were taken to a temporary morgue that had been set up at the National Guard Armory. The FBI also sent fingerprint experts to the scene, and those experts learned that nine of the bodies had been identified by relatives, by friends, or by personal effects, and they were removed from the temporary morgue, given back to the families. And the 35 remaining bodies were fingerprinted. 21 of those bodies were identified by fingerprints contained in vast FBI files. Why, Why do the so FBI many people have? have? Yes. Yeah. That's explained as well. <laughs> oh, so, I know. All of the 21 identified people had been fingerprinted for various reasons during their lifetime, and their fingerprints had been found in the civil section of the FBI fingerprint files. Many okay. were identified from military service. Fingerprints. Okay, okay, that makes a heck yes. of a lot more sense. I was just like, is this like con air? Where it's I like know. All- <laughs> They're all cons. Right? I was like, why do we all have all their fingerprints? <laughs> um, some because they were employed in defense plants for World War II, so a lot of people had been employed with that. And some were actually mm-hmm. government employees, and some were even people who had applied for U.S. naturalization from Canada. So they take mm-hmm. fingerprints for all okay. those things. And the 14 victims that couldn't be identified through fingerprints were later identified through personal effects or relatives. I don't know. Okay. Oh, that poor. I just keep visualizing seeing someone sitting in the seat still. Oh, oh God. Right? I can't even. (laughs) Be horrifying. Nightmares. Anyway, six days after the crash, the FBI was contacted and the investigation became criminal. On November 7th of 1955, the Civil Aeronautics Board officially stated that the flight had been sabotaged. 
Cue the Beastie Boys. <laughs> yeah, we both went there. <laughs> totally That's awesome. Oh, no. yeah. in, in addition to background checks on the passengers, all crew member and family were also investigated. When researching mail that had been on the flight, investigators traced all of it back to senders and found that nothing of an explosive or flammable nature was in the shipments of mail, so those did not contribute to the blast. Isn't that crazy? They went back and checked every freaking piece of mail. Oh, yes. That's crazy. Kind of interesting, though. During the intensive search through the train and wreckage, five small pieces of sheet metal were found that couldn't be identified as parts of the plane or known cargo contents. The sheet metal pieces were so badly burned and coated with soot that it was hard to tell what they were, but on one side of the fragments, they were red and had the, <laughs> had the letters H-O in blue on them. Ho. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going for hot, but I didn't oh, like, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Although initially unsure if these fragments were significant, they were later identified as a portion of a six volt battery. So they were oh. tiny, tiny hose. I was waiting for you to be like, oh, it was red and it had TNT written on it. You know, like mm-hmm. just like you would see in like Warner Brothers. Yes. Yeah. Like, in some sort of bug funny thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so we're going to take a break here. And when we come back from the break, yes, more information is found in the wreckage. If you want to, if you want to pause right now and listen to the Beast Boys. Yes. (laughs) Oh, please do. Going through each and every piece of wreckage, investigators found deposits on some fragments ranging in color from white to very dark gray. These deposits consisted of mainly sodium carbonate with traces of nitrate and sulfur compounds. So they smell like farts. (laughs) I I suddenly don't want to be an investigator in this type of situation anymore. (laughs) It smells like parts in here. (laughs) The FBI laboratory indicated the use of dynamite was probable as the source of the explosion. Investigators continued efforts to dig up complete background information on each of the 44 victims, including any possible motive anybody would have had to kill any of these people on board people who had booked reservations on the flight but had canceled them before the flight or missed the flight were heavily investigated as well. I know, and I alluded to this earlier when that um, when matching luggage to passengers, investigators were looking for pieces that were the most heavily damaged to see who had them in their personal effects. One woman named Daisy King had a considerable amount of items in her effects, including letters, newspaper clippings about her family, traveler's checks, an address list, two keys, and a receipt to a safe deposit box rented by her. The article... None of that sounds exceptionally odd, though. None no. Of that sounds... Just a lot to be traveling with, but... Which is a little weird. The articles found in her effects revealed considerable information about her background. One of the newspaper clippings revealed that her son, Jack Gilbert Graham, had been charged with forgery in Denver and was placed on the local most wanted list in 1951. Because most You're of most her... most wanted for forgery? I know! <laughs> Like, Denver was forged? small at this time. <laughs> it's like, this is a big crime. Like, yeah. We got to get this check. He wrote out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was the worst of their problems back then. <laughs> because most of her items were found on or near her body, it was apparent that she had been carrying them in her handbags instead of in her luggage. And even with careful searching, 
Practically none of her suitcases were recovered other than small bits, meaning her luggage had been blown to smithereens. Mmm. Yes. Interesting. Yes. And back in these days, and I find this so weird, but when you would travel by plane, airports often had life insurance agents on hand to sell life insurance to those wanting to purchase it before trips. And Get called- out. No. I don't. It's not hey, weird. I don't, I don't mean to worry you since you're just yeah. getting on a plane. Oh, <laughs> you want to take a life insurance policy out? That's so crazy. I know. And it was like a popular thing for people to do. It was bizarre. So investigators set their sights on determining who had purchased large amounts of insurance prior to their trip. 17 passengers had bought insurance directly prior to the trip at the airport. Holy shit. 17 <laughs> out of 44 is a pretty large a lot chunk. of people. They're all like, uh, we might buy it. <laughs> I don't trust I don't have a plane. good vibe about this plane. I'm guess, oh. I'm still going to get on. Uh, but yeah. I'm going to take out insurance. Yeah. Oh, so weird. One <laughs> traveler had three insurance policies taken out on her. Daisy King. Same lady with blown up bag. So investigators began honing in on Daisy's son, Jack Graham. It was learned that Jack was to receive a substantial inheritance upon the death of his mother, and their relationship had been fraught with fighting. Ooh. Yeah. Jack left home at 16, had lived with various family members, and he had later returned to Denver where Daisy had opened a drive-in restaurant that she allowed him to run. Drive-in, I'm assuming like where they skate up to it. Roller oh, skate. Yeah. yeah. So cute. Daisy <laughs> had continuous problems with Graham overrunning the restaurant. He had been believed to be embezzling money from her restaurant. What a son. Ooh, you know. What a son. She's nice enough to let you run the restaurant, man. And then. Yeah. And then you embezzle. Investigators began digging up extensive records on Jack, where they found he had been employed as payroll clerk at a manufacturing company in Denver in 1951. There, he had stolen blank checks and forged enough cash to buy himself a convertible car, which he left Denver in, and disappeared. Forgery. Forgery. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Eventually, he was arrested in Lubbock, Texas, on a charge of, quote, hauling whiskey in violation of Texas laws. I don't... <laughs> like, you okay. are not allowed to haul whiskey in Texas. I How much know. whiskey are we talking about That's here? what I'm wondering. Like, and it wasn't during Prohibition, so who knows? But <laughs> the hell? But the arrest was dramatic, and they caught him only after he had run a roadblock manned by officers and shots had been fired into his car. Over whiskey? Over whiskey. He'd been been found with a gun in his car, and he served 60 days in jail there in Texas before he was released to the Denver police to face charges for the forgeries. And I know, he's a a doll. He was convicted. He's a doll. (laughs) Son of the year. Yeah, winner. He was convicted for those forgeries, but the sentence was suspended and he was placed on probation for five years in order to pay restitution. Like, why did you run, dude? They barely slapped you. Yeah. Yeah, That doesn't make any... Okay. Things are weird back in the 50s, apparently. So while Jack ran his mother's drive-in restaurant in 1955, someone had caused an explosion there that had caused considerable damage. Apparently, someone had disconnected a gas line connection, allowing gas to flow into the building. The gas accumulated until it reached a pilot light on the water heater, causing the explosion. Jack was quick to collect on that insurance payout. Jack's got a pattern going on here. I see. I see. I I feel I know who enjoys the dynamiting. Yes, I think you've figured it out. Mm. 
Um, and later that same year, Jack had bought a new pickup truck, which suddenly stalled on a railroad track and was struck by a train. Jack, okay, that only happens in movies. That doesn't happen in real life. They don't actually ever, come on. <laughs> but it did for him. And he once again collected on that insurance and blamed it all on bad luck. Damn, my luck is bad. <laughs> bad luck. Wherever I go. What reason for situation? Bad, bad luck. luck. I don't think that. Um, when interviewing Jack about his mother and her trip on the plane, he claimed he hadn't helped her with any of her packing and that she was on her way to Alaska to visit her daughter. She packed a considerable amount of shotgun shells and rifle ammo to use in hunting caribou, as one does. Because you can't get that once you get to Alaska. I know, right? Who packs that? I know. Maybe it's cheaper in Denver. But who? Oh my God. No, on an airplane. <laughs> obviously before 9-11, so. Obviously, yeah, exactly. <laughs> obviously. Take anything. Surprisingly, Jack was married with two young children at the time of his really? mother's death. Yeah, I figured nobody would see yeah. Diamond in the Rough with that one. Yeah, I figured he was just kind of a loser. I mean, he was a loser. It's just that he was a yeah. married loser. A married loser. His wife, Gloria, was also interviewed by the investigators. Daisy, his mom, had been living with them but traveled a lot, and Gloria wasn't sure exactly what Daisy packed and explained that Daisy was very particular about her packing and did not allow anyone to help her. Gloria also mentioned that Jack had given Daisy a present before she left for the airport. Jack had told her that inside the box was a set of tools for forming seashells into art objects. She... <laughs> what? That's a very odd, <laughs> very specific, specific thing. These are special tools. They only work on seashells. <laughs> Into art <laughs> objects. <laughs> right. Also, don't open this until you get to Alaska. Yeah, exactly. She noted that Jack had brought the gift wrap package into the house and into his mother's room where she was packing her luggage. She said it was about 18 inches long by about 14 inches wide and a few inches deep. It's, it's pretty big. Like, I don't, I've never tools. seen a Dremel tool that size. <laughs> right? What the heck? <laughs> Some giant seashells. Yeah, I would have questioned that myself, but whatever. All right. A neighbor of some of Jack's relatives told investigators that she had heard about the toolkit and that Jack was interested in buying it for his mother. And she said he had searched all over Denver before finding it and that he had wrapped it in Christmas paper and placed it in his mother's luggage before she boarded the plane. This is like a super observant neighbor. She's one of Seriously, those like, right? always right. watching out the window. Oh, I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw that. Crazy bitch. So this mom thinks that her kind of loser son is actually getting her a present for Christmas early. Mm -hmm. Something she wanted. And it's really, he's, uh just cold. Very cold. She, this neighbor, said she also heard that after Daisy's plane took off, Jack became very ill and his face had turned very white. She also said that when Jack and Gloria heard about the plane crash, Jack responded, that is it. This neighbor is, like, heavy into this situation. Seriously? <laughs> Why was the neighbor with them when the plane took off? Like, were they at home? Were they at the airport and the plane took no off idea. and the neighbor went with? I don't understand. I know. <laughs> I don't either. I think she heard the story from someone else and was just, you know. This is a very gossipy. nosy, busy body. She's so busy. Yes. Botter? Botter. Busy body. <laughs> yes. Neighbor. She's one of those types. Investigators asked Jack to come in and try to identify some of his mother's luggage and asked him about the Christmas present. 
he said he had intended to buy the tool set but wasn't able to find the one he was looking for and hadn't bought it. But that was a direct contradiction to his wife's statement. And the neighbor. And the neighbor. Who knew who knows all everything. about it. In fact, I could say it was red and white striped paper with a big green bow. <laughs> exactly. When their stories didn't match, Jack said it was possible his wife could have been mistaken. She didn't see him carrying a present into his mother's room. Nope. She was hallucinating about that. People yeah. hallucinate about presents being carried in all the time. <laughs> all the time. Commonplace. Yes. And as for becoming ill after the plane had taken off, Jack claimed he'd had poor food at the airport, and the excitement of his mother's leaving had all resulted in his sickness. He was so excited. Thank okay, God you're leaving. So, you so he was at the airport. Mm-hmm. So I guess the neighbor went with them, know. you know, to see yeah. her off. Just <laughs> And there's nothing fishy about him getting sick at an airport, because airport food sucks. It is bad. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's, you so, know, hmm. But he, and he was very excited about his mom leaving. I'm so excited, I'm puking. <laughs> I'm so happy I could puke. <laughs> At this point, FBI agents had let Jack know that he was a suspect in the explosion. Jack offered to take a polygraph test and gave agents permission to search his home. At his house, they found a small roll of copper wire similar to what's used on a detonated primer cap inside the pocket of one of his shirts. They also found- Well, I was gonna say that wouldn't be weird to find, but yeah, in the pocket of a shirt. In the shirt, pocket yeah. of a shirt, yeah. Like on a tool bench, yeah, not so much. Right. They also found the insurance policy Jack had purchased at the airport on the day of the flight, hidden in a small bedroom chest. Took out insurance on his mom, write that in there. And not just one policy, three. Three! While going over details, Jack's story began to unravel and he couldn't keep details straight. He began by admitting to causing the explosion at his mother's restaurant, but he didn't stop there. He also admitted to leaving his pickup truck purposely on the railroad tracks. And finally, finally, he admitted to causing the explosion of Flight 629. He said that he built a bomb with a timer with 25 sticks of dynamite that he purchased in the town of Kremlin. It had two electric primer craps and craps. (laughs) Primer craps? (laughs) That's why it stuck. Smells like parts in here. Well, the primer craps probably cause. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> okay, it had two electric primer caps and a six volt battery, and that's where the six volt came in. Oh yes. But wait, six volt? What? Ho. What on there said ho? <laughs> I don't know. Six volt. Okay. Holt. The holts. The holts. While in jail, Jack spoke with psychiatrists where he told them how he had slipped the bomb into his mother's suitcase and fastened the luggage. He said at the airport, he dropped his wife and kids off and his mom at the terminal door, then parked the car in a parking lot. He set the bomb timer to 90 minutes and took the luggage to the United counter. Jeez. The suitcase was overweight and he paid the $27 fee for the additional weight. $27 back then. Dude. Even I was just going to say, even back then, it was $27. I was like, holy shit, that's expensive. I can't imagine. Oh that'd be like God. 150 how? bucks or something now. That's how much insane. overweight was that? I know. That's a lot of overweight. <laughs> yeah. He then oh stopped God. by a vending machine and paid a dollar fifty for the trip insurance with pay. <laughs> wait, wait. It was $27 for the overweight luggage? Yes. 
but a dollar fifty for the insurance, which had a payout of thirty-seven thousand five hundred dollars in his mother's name. And he but named it barely himself covers the cost of the, I know. the luggage. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? A dollar fifty for a payout of thirty-seven thousand dollars. That's crazy. That's and he crazy. named himself as a beneficiary. Like, why do they? First of all, it's a vending machine, which I I never knew there were insurance vending machines. It was, an it was a vending machine. Dude, and do you so have you an extra order? Because I'm trying to get some insurance here. And I don't have exam. And that you can write anybody's name on it. Like, oh, I feel like this person might die. He said he... Awesome. I know, that was great. He said they then returned home and he heard that everyone on the plane had been killed over the radio. After he named himself as the beneficiary, he said they then returned home and he heard that everyone on the plane had been killed over the radio. Well, what did he think was going to happen? Was she on a private plane? What? Right. No. Well, I'm hoping just my mom blows up and everybody else lands safe. Yeah. What the? Doctors asked him why he did it and he told him he knew there would be many other people other than just his mother on board of the plane. He said, quote, but the number of people to be killed made no difference to me. It could have been (gasps) a thousand. When their time comes, there's nothing they can do about it. It wasn't their time, dickhead. I know. Sorry. You made it their time. You're not God. <laughs> That's not the same. I know. Not the same thing. It's their time. Rude. So rude. So the FBI handed the case over to the Denver District Attorney, where Jack was charged with murder. At the time... Times 44. I know. But listen to this. At the time, there wasn't a specific federal law for blowing up a commercial airliner, so they could only charge him with the murder of his mother. Not everyone else. Wait. I know. Wait. No. It doesn't make sense. It, it, it was, I guess, before there was a lot of mass killings, and so they didn't know, they had no legislation for it. But he directly caused the deaths of all those other right. people. So he should have been. That's some bullshit. That's some bullshit. So we'll take a break, and when we come back, I'll tell you about the trial of Jack. Because oh, I need to cool down. That pisses me off. <laughs> I know, it's such bullshit. So I know we've been telling you guys for a while about the shop in Northern Colorado called Thistle. It's also online and you guys, there's so much stuff that's about to launch before the holidays. Yes, I am super thankful for the guy section with so many unique finds. The men in my life are so difficult to buy for. I always find something they love at Thistle. Me too. There's literally something for everyone, even kiddos. And with the holidays just around the corner, now is the time to snatch up goodies before they're gone. Thistle loves ODFM so much that they are offering our listeners 10% off their purchase when using the code ODFM at checkout. That's at thistlewellington.com. That's T-H-I-S-T-L-E-W-E-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-N.com. Or pop by in person in downtown Wellington, Colorado. Just five months after the explosion, the case went to court and the trial was the first in U.S. history to be televised. Lucky guy. Yeah. Jack's attorneys tried to claim that his confession to the FBI had been made under duress and tried to get it thrown out. But a federal judge dismissed their motion and Jack's confession was entered as evidence. Ah, the confession was authenticated when investigators located the sources of items used by Jack in the making of the bomb. A supply company in Denver identified Jack as having purchased a 60-minute on-type timing device, which he exchanged a few days later for a 60-minute off-type timing device. 
I started like researching what that meant and then I, was, I freaked myself out like, oh, they're going to think I'm making a bomb. So I quit researching <laughs> it. <It's> like, <laughs> so I don't know. There must be something. It's for a podcast, I swear. <laughs> I swear I'm not making a bomb. Yeah. So I don't know what the difference is with those. Somebody does. And they, can, okay. they, can, they can write us and tell us. But he obviously wasn't an expert. He wasn't a professional because he was like, shit, I bought the wrong thing. (laughs) I gotta go back. Is this returnable? Can I return this? (laughs) Can I exchange exchange my mom? It's only half me. Also, a store manager in Kremlin remembered selling 20 or 25 sticks of dynamite and two electric blasting caps to a man in October of 1955. You would remember that. Like, oh, where are you? What are you blasting up? Are you dynamiting today? Are we dynamiting, right? Right? Yes. He even identified Jack from a lineup as the person who had made the purchase. So his saying that his confession was false is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jack's half-sister related a background of Jack that was of particular interest. She said that recently she felt very uneasy around him. She described She was him- in Alaska. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this, this might be <laughs> a different one. it was a one. different sister. Might okay. be. Well, no, I think this is, well, we'll see. Whatever. Anyway. She described him as sullen with pent-up violence, and she didn't want to be around him. He was going to okay. blow. She could. <laughs> you can't say that. It's going to blow. Or blow. blow something else. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He should have just blown himself. What? Wait. That right? sounds gross. Wait. No. Uh, <laughs> you have to add the up in there. Oh, it makes uh, a yes, big you. difference if you don't put the up in. <laughs> Ew, Jack. Oh, she claimed that in the past he had told her things he thought were funny, but she found disturbing and warped. For example, after like playing- this podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's true. It's sad because it's true. <laughs> For example, after the plane explosion, he had joked, "Can't you just see those shotgun shells going off in the plane every which way, and the pilots, passengers, and grandma just jumping around?" Okay, that kind of sounds like something we'd say. Uh-oh. Or deranged. She said that for years she had thought Jack was mentally unstable, obviously. She had told her husband and other relatives her feelings about him years before, and she related many examples of Jack being abusive to relatives and to his own wife. <sighs> Jack pled He's innocent. A He's a total loser. We don't like you, Jack. Jack what innocent. Innocent. And innocent by reason of insanity before, during, and after the alleged commission of the crime. So that's a whole type of insanity mm-hmm. plea, apparently. The court accepted only the pleas of innocent and innocent by reason of insanity at the time of the alleged crime, but not before, during, and after. Just at the time. Okay. <laughs> he was trying to claim too many insanity. <laughs> I was insane the whole time, before, during, after. after. I didn't have like a like a, a break in the sanity where I was sane for a while. I... I'm just insane. But he was ordered to be examined at a psychi- psychiatric hospital. During his examination, he made a claim concerning his confession. He said that while he was being interviewed by FBI agents, he had noticed a photo on the wall showing the apprehension of Nazi saboteurs who had landed on the Florida coast during World War II. He said he noticed in the picture agents digging up a cache of explosives and the picture gave him the idea of confessing to using dynamite to blow up the plane. 
So that's where he. That got. is the biggest <laughs> load of crap I have he ever. He was influenced by the heard. photo. Yeah. Are you? Was he tripping? What? <laughs> no. What He's hell? like grasping at everything. Oh yeah. But, uh, that's. It's bad. But the ruse didn't Please. work. Shockingly, he was found legally sane and returned to jail. He was a model prisoner and spent his days reading and chatting with guards. Fun. He's got a great life. That sounds rough. Too bad everyone else had to die for his rough life. Yeah. One evening. It was their time, Kelly. Oh, oh, right. I forgot. I forgot. One evening in 1956 at about 5.30 p.m., a deputy heard the sound of heavy breathing in Jack's cell. So he made his way over there. I think Um, I would probably go the other way. (laughs) (laughs) You're on your own, man. You guys don't want to go down there. I don't don't know what's happening down there. I don't want to I want to see what you're doing. It made me think of Hannibal Lecter in his cell. That is not what I thought of. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what you thought of? No, but we're just going to move on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He found Jack slumped on the floor with his socks twisted tightly around his throat and a piece of rolled cardboard used for added leverage. Socks and cardboard? Mm Mm-hmm. Making himself creative anyway. Yeah. Which is probably why they only give like state issued crocs or whatever they do. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the socks. The guard loosened the garrote and a doctor was called. He was placed in a straitjacket and returned to the psychiatric hospital where he was under 24 hour surveillance. He was quite talkative with doctors where he said his confession about the plane was true. He told them that he decided to get rid of his mother. He bought the bomb supplies and while his mom was busy, he slipped the bomb in her suitcase and fastened it with extra webbing for security. Oh. I know. When he dropped his family off at the airport terminal and after parking the car, he had set the timer for the bomb and then turned in the luggage to the airline. So he reconfirmed again the same confession he'd confessed to a couple times. After this, he dropped his insanity plea and was given a new trial. This time, Jack asked the television cameras be banned from his trial, but the judge oh. permitted some, but added that any witness or the defendant could be object to being filmed or photographed. And Jack was the only person who actually made the request during the trial. <laughs> the judge had a remote control on the bench, which, he en- which enabled him to cut off the camera when necessary. I didn't know they had remote controls. I know. Because all you hear about is your parents going, yeah. my remote control was your kid. And you I had ran to up and stand t- up. Yeah. And turn the channel. Hit <laughs> right. the TV Change because channel. it wasn't coming in. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. They were advanced. They were advanced in Denver. The trial set a record with 231 potential jurors examined with the worry that they had held fixed opinions as to Jack's guilt or innocence beforehand. Because it's been sensational. Okay. Yeah, after jurors were... And everyone finally, had flocked to the scene, so they were all there. So they all... Who was there to choose? They were all literally <laughs> they were all there. there. <laughs> <laughs> after jurors were finally chosen and the trial began, hundreds of people waited for hours in the halls outside the courtroom hoping to get seats. Because they were flocking once again. They were flocking there again. They I'm telling you. part of this. And this is how Court TV was born. Yes. Oh, for real. People are interested in this. Yes. We should probably televise court. So the door guard always saved a seat for one woman in particular that arrived promptly at 9 a.m. each morning. She was the wife of the pilot of the fatal flight. She sat just a few feet away from Jack throughout the entire trial. And gave her him. him. Oh, yes. 
that side. I shall kill you with my glare. <laughs> that looks scary. I'm gonna have to. <laughs> that's, that's just my morning face. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the regular morning face. That's yeah, not even that's what I look like when I wake up. Yeah. <laughs> Among several damning testimonials, a credit manager from the Chevrolet company testified that Jack hadn't been able to pay a $50 deductible on an insurance loss on his pickup truck, which they had repaired after an accident. Jack well, had blew yeah. $27 on a, <laughs> on some <laughs> luggage. bag. I mean. <laughs> Jack had commented during their conversation how easy it would be to blow up an airplane, saying that it would take about two gallons of nitroglycerin, and he had seen how luggage was handled at the airport. He said it would be quite easy for someone to place a bomb in the airplane. This is just a conversation he's having with this guy. This is just shooting <laughs> at the, the shit Chevrolet. His is, <laughs> and he totally like implicated himself. In- Think of how easy it would be to blow up a plane. What, dude? Weren't right. we just talking about and your insurance? Of course, insurance this guy. Thing? Right, and he remembered this conversation because who the fuck talks about who that? The- <laughs> exactly. What? You know what I was thinking about the other day? <laughs> how easy it would be to blow up a plane. <laughs> oh. Okay, sir, would you mind signing right. this, please? Mm-hmm. Right, and then get the hell yeah. out of my store. Yeah. <laughs> after this trial, the jury deliberated for just 69 minutes, after which they found Jack guilty of murder in the first degree. The Good. judge sentenced him to death, and he was ex- executed in a gas chamber on January 11th, 1957. That is fitting that it was gas. Yes. Because of the, the smell. Totally. Take and that, the, Jack. the craps, the the craps, <laughs> the craps. <laughs> yes, the craps. It's too bad that they don't have um, execution by dynamiting. Right, that, that would have been, been more perfect. Fitting. Yeah, mm-hmm. eye for an eye. Here, you hold this. <laughs> We're gonna go in the We're other room. We're gonna light it. Don't blow it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so remember the Hop family, whose farm. The, the Hop the family, plane, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. the plane littered. Mm-hmm. In the years after the explosion, they'd harvest the fields and find a bare spot in the crop. That bare spot was where a body had fallen to the ground and alfalfa wouldn't grow back. Oh, get out! Oh. Yeah. See, that doesn't make any sense because I thought that... You would think it'd be more fertile. Right, <laughs> so I was trying to find how to say that. Yeah. Mm-mm. Right? Doesn't it fertilize the... You think, I don't know, maybe something, maybe it was they constantly find items in the dirt, like pens and eyeglasses and small personal items. That oh, fell that's so bizarre. I know. When oh. one of their cows died shortly after the explosion, they even found a hunk of metal lodged inside of it. Oh, I know, oh. the poor cow. Oh, the poor cow. Oh, what the hell was that? Well, I know, exactly. I, had, I got a crunchy bit in that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I just swallowed it. I, I don't know what it was. <laughs> Conrad's father, the longtime farmer, refused to water the fields at night on the east side of the farm where the wreckage landed. It freaked him out. Conrad oh, thought it was haunted? Yes. And Conrad's brothers would say they heard ghosts out there. And now, these lands are all being turned into subdivisions. So maybe they'll have portals like oh! I have. Oh! oh I know. My God. They're very I close smell to smell a too. movie. Oh, yeah. shit. So that's the story of the bombing. Ugh. 629, was that what it was? Six. I don't know, like, man. It was your story. What I know. Story? Why, why, why are you paying attention? <laughs> you, you were supposed to be taking notes. I did, but I picked up on certain things, like $27 for, Flaming the, balls. for an overpriced, overpriced bag. Flaming balls. Flaming balls. A dollar fifty in exact change. <laughs> to get some to get insurance. For the vending machine. That's insane, right? Oh, 
Oh, yeah, oh my god. Weird time back then. That's crazy. Oh, that was a good story. It's fun. That, that one was crazy. I that know, was I fun. Like Plus, it, it was more, more dynamiting. It was more dynamite. That's why I had to choose it. I was like, oh, Jenna loves dynamiting. I love dynamiting now. <laughs> it's like my new thing. <laughs> <laughs> now that we can't get it. Dang it. Yeah. So should uh, we do okay. my sources? Yes, you should. You should totally do your sources. So Murderpedia, DenverChannel.com, and FBI.gov. The FBI.gov website had great photos and information. So, and about Ooh. their techniques and research. So that was very cool to look at. I can't wait to see those. That sounds good. All right. Thank you everyone for listening Thank to another listening. fun-filled dynamiting, dinotastic, <laughs> dynamite yes, episode, episode. <laughs> of ODFM. <laughs> and stay odd. Stay odd. Which means obsessive Wait, we had this dark humored detective yes right? yes obsessed obsessed obsessive? that's it obsessed i don't know obsessive works too yeah either one stay yeah, be an oddie with us thank you for being yeah. our audience yeah you should totally check out our we have new merch right <gasps> yes new merch on our spreadshirt it's on spreadshirt which means it's our our logos and our designs but they print on demand on whatever you want them on. So like if you have a, I'm very particular about my shirts because I like to accentuate the positive and (laughs) I'm just trying to look in the right places and ignore (laughs) the unfortunate places. Look at my boobs, not my eyes. (laughs) Right, exactly. Look at my boobs, not I don't have makeup on. Look at my boobs. Uh, (laughs) So yes, we have boob shirts. Right, so you could choose, like, there's v-necks and different cuts and sweatshirts, and so you could pick whatever you want to have um, stuff printed on. There's, like, all different kinds of cups and mugs, and there's so many different things. There's stickers. There's... And the quality is really nice. I got myself some shirts and mugs, and, oh, they're awesome. So, Fantastic. really good quality. I want to get one of those slouchy sweatshirts because they look <gasps> I so I love cute. those. Don't those look cute? Right? Yes, and they do. you can find the links to those on our website, ODFM Podcast, or on our Facebook, mm-hmm. ODFM Podcast, there as well. Yes, please go check those out. Check uh, out. Maybe you have um, some uh, true crime lovers that you know of who might want some Christmas gifts. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's not just our logo, so if they just love true crime in general, they can find some yeah. true crime stuff there, which is awesome. Yeah, some uh, we'll always dark humored. More. Yes. Some, some inappropriate, dark humored, you know, <laughs> stuff. Yeesh. And we have some merch on our Facebook page, too. We have a Facebook That's true. We do. Be sure to like us and follow us and... Um, and rate us. Fours. And rate us. Fives. Yeah. Twenties. Yeah. Give us give us Good a couple ratings. fives. We'll take a four. And share it's us with good. your friends. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. To see images from this story, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ODFM Podcast, or on our website at odfmpodcast.com, where you'll also find a link to our merch store, where you can get awesome stuff like t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and more. And if the weekly podcast just isn't enough to fill your ODFM cup full, join our fan club on Patreon for more content like minisodes, bloopers, and discounts at our merch store. That site is patreon.com slash ODFM podcast. And if you do love our bloopers and need more than we naturally do, which is a lot, buy us a glass of wine at buymeacoffee.com slash ODFM podcast.
Thanks for listening to another episode of ODFM, hosted by Kelly DeVries and Jenna Swanson. Production and editing by Kelly DeVries. Theme music by Eric Swanson. ODFM is a satirical true crime podcast for entertainment purposes only. The stories you hear are serious and true. The comments and opinions are not. We apologize if any of our content is harmful or disrespectful. 